Welcome home for the holidays, everyone. This is Tales from the Rec Room, where guys get out all the time for hockey scholarships and prison. I'm your host, Bree Rohde, and they remade my belly with skin from my butt. And who is with me on the line today? I'm Amber Atkins. No, I'm Kelsey Goldman, um, here to discuss all things Dunst and... Uh... Minnesota, I guess. <laughs> Dunstan, Minnesota, two of my favorites. Actually, I still haven't been to Minnesota yet, but I've been to Wisconsin, which very similar accents. Uh, welcome home yeah. for the Holodunst, Kelsey. Thank you so much for joining us on this special week of holiday fun in which we pay tribute to the child who was born to free us all from sin, Kirsten Dunst. Um, <laughs> this week, we're continuing to cover different Kirsten Dunst movie vehicles every day. This is the third podcast I've recorded in a week, and I'm dying. Um, and actually, as of <laughs> Wednesday. That'll be four podcast episodes recorded in one week. Um, that is really impressive. I, I'm I'm really impressed. I have two jobs and I'm teaching extra classes tonight. Like, why do I do this? I don't even. You're like, you're wild. I'm financially stable. I don't know why I keep doing this to myself. Um, but uh, yesterday I said Spider Man Two is in my top ten favorite movies of all time. But this movie, top three. Like they, my top three movies kind of jumps around a little bit between like what's number one, but this is absolutely in my top three movies. We're talking about Drop Dead Gorgeous. Um, Kelsey, you are also in three-way tie. Uh, that's for the title of best friend of the show um, in kind of a permanent rock'em sock'em robots fight with Mike and Liz. Um, yeah. You've been on the show and the previous iteration Peak Show numerous times, but can you tell me why you jumped at the opportunity to talk about Drop Dead Gorgeous? Yes, of course. Um, I mean, my previous uh, incarnation on Tales of the Rec Room was talking about um, the other uh, late 90s, early 2000s Dunst vehicle, Get Over It, um, a movie that is near and dear to my heart. And I also just, I have a deep, deep love for this Kirsten Dunst era, the sort of like 1997 to 2003 Kirsten Dunst. Um, the, the first peak of, of the the many peaks of Dunst, you know, it's, you know, we're not in the dunst Assance yet because this is the first time. <laughs> um, and I, I love this movie deep, deeply, so deeply. Um, it, um, it was one of the movies that like really introduced me to this format, this genre mm -hmm. of the mockumentary. Um, and I think uh, it just really made a huge impact on me <laughs> at a specific time. Um, and I think it's, you know, just a lovely performance from everyone in it. <laughs> everyone. And like R.I.P. Kirstie Alley. Like I kind of forgot, like, oh uh, yeah, she passed in the last like year or so, correct? Yeah, yeah. I think so. Um, yeah, I think like when you say like it, I think this was also the first mockumentary I'd ever seen, I think. Um, I think it also, and not that I had these terms at the time, but for me, it was kind of where I started to appreciate the subtle differences between comedy and satire. And, uh, you know, that all satires are comedies, but not, not all comedies are satires. And why this felt so unique for me as a comedy at the time. So that's like this movie, like it's one of those movies, like for me, I show new friends this movie. I show new relationships this movie. Um, so of course, because no one listens to the end of the episode, before we go further, tell us right now where we can find, follow, and come up with bad faith interpretations of the things you say online. Um, you can find me most places at Kelsey Rebecca. Um, so Instagram, uh, Twitter, um, mostly talking about hockey on Twitter, but sometimes other things. Um, I'm at, I'm on Blue Sky at Kelsey Bex. Um, and then uh, I have a podcast that has no new episodes, but there are like 90 back 
episodes that you can listen to. It's called Ruin My Life. Including Someday, Get Over maybe It. Including Get Over It, yeah. Someday, maybe there will be new episodes. Also including Bring It On, um, which oh, yeah. I believe is going to be talked about in, on, in this thing. Um, so... Uh, Jason and I, who is my partner on that podcast, we toyed around with doing like a Dunst themed podcast where we just like worked our way through all of all of her movies. But we are not uh, don't have the willpower to actually do that again. So if we do more episodes, it will be of our current podcast. But I mean, um, yeah, those are all the places you can find me. The good thing about old Kirsten Dunst catalog stuff is like. Even when there's, like, bad stuff, she is always the best part of it. I would say, like, Mm -hmm. the closest thing to, like, a snooze that I have no interest in visiting again that I also, like, it's not that she was bad in that movie, but she's not good enough to redeem this movie is the criminally boring Crazy Beautiful, which is, like, 1999, I think. Yeah, I think one of her one of the only real like kind of bombs from this era of Dunst mm-hmm. for me. Like, I mean, obviously this movie that we're going to talk about today is a a box office bomb, but but also um, it's dub bomb. Yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, Crazy Beautiful just not good, and you know even her cute little haircut could not redeem it. Um, so all right, well we'll get right to kind of um and. and you know, the last couple uh, Home from the Holodance episodes have been things like, yeah, hell yeah, I saw this in theaters. I'll tell you right away, I did not see this in theaters. How about you? Neither did I. This was hardcore, plucked it off the video rental shelf and never looked back. <laughs> this might have been one of the movies that I um, rented so many times that I eventually bought the movie that I rented. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I rented it. Um, I think I'd maybe seen a couple like uh, TV commercials for it and stuff. However, when I first rented it, it was definitely after it had come out, like a couple years after, because uh, this movie came out in 1998. It was at least the year 2000 because I was living in Timmins at the time. Um, so it was it was home viewing for me. Now, at the time, what were your favorite go to movie snacks? This was shortly before our Get Over It era. Yeah. Um- uh, like theater movie snacks, always big thing of popcorn, sour patch watermelon, go to always at the theater. Those were my snacks. Um, and then for this kind of thing, I was a latchkey kid, so uh, my movie snacks were just kind of like whatever was around the house. Uh, a lot of dry cereal, some uh, hot pockets, uh, pizza rolls, that kind of thing. <laughs> uh, the instant mac and cheese, or what you all would call craft dinner. <laughs> well, it has to be by craft, but um, yeah, it's, it's really weird. As to I mean, it, it was. We just US. don't just call not, it that. Yeah, I just, it's so <laughs> weird. I'm like, I understand if it's like something like cream, whatever, because it's like you can't call it cream here. But I just, I've always wondered why <laughs> can't craft call it craft dinner in the U.S. Um, and and it's so like not considered like an iconic thing there. Um, no. Speaking of iconic things, Kirsten Dunst. Um, I would say I was deep into my like since this would have been at home movie viewing, probably like deep into salty snack era for sure. Like you know, I was eating a lot of Tostitos and salsa at the time because I was a I was a beige girl, and so salsa was the one way my mom could be like, please, please get a vegetable in this child. Um, yeah. So I I vibe with that. So now, very important question, especially for this kind of movie. Was this, at the time, a Kelsey special? Were you alone in liking this movie, or did your friends like it? Okay, so unlike Get Over It, which 
was received to mixed reviews amongst my friends. Um, this movie has every time I've shown it to someone, and it's it's very much a movie I show to people like when I become friends with them. Mm. Um, I I showed Sarah and Jason this movie um, like pretty early in our friendship, and it has become like pretty standard in our um, rotation. Yeah, in our in our like sort of you know personal canon. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie has always been met with like rave reviews by my friends, which is lovely for me, which is why like I didn't know how big a bomb it was initially. And when I was preparing for this podcast, I was like, wow, people like really didn't like this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't really understand why. And I think one of the things I want to kind of talk about is just sort of like what makes a good cult movie a good cult movie and, mm-hmm. and why why they become that. Because that's that's what this is now. There's a whole generation of people that absolutely love this movie and, like, die for this movie. And I'm one of them. And all largely um, queer people, I will add. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't understand what it... it like, th- I, this is one of those things where I'm like, this movie feels queer, which is funny because everything in it is so aggressively straight that maybe that's <laughs> what feels queer about it, is it's almost like a commentary <laughs> on the straight American. Um, mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, so a bit of the opposite. It's so funny because I was thinking... The other movie that I said this about was Get Over It, that like I, at the time when I was 10 years old, tried to show this to friends and they were not having it. And I think some people like looked at me worse because of it. Now, when I got older, I think it was when I was around university age that that did start to change. And it was right up there with like dental plan, Lisa needs braces with... um, uh, Like if someone quoted this, if I heard someone quoting this, I would be like, oh my God, my friend. Like, um... I was, same, same. I, when I was working at my university and I had to do the um, alum, if you ever get a call from your alumni or from your alma mater and like, hey, you want to give us money? Um, unfortunately, oh, my favorite is when they were calling me when I was like 23 and unemployed. I'm like, I don't have any money. So I'm like, what are you really, what are you asking for? I'm really sorry to say that that was my job in university for like all four Listen, years. Listen, somebody has to do it. It's not your fault. But um, <laughs> no, um, my manager, Maeve, Um, she was making fun of like, she's like, try to, you know, when you guys read the script, try to have their names there. Because when you read the script, it's going to say like, hi, you know, how's student doing? And she goes, you don't want to come across sounding like, right, like your town in beautiful Mount Rose, Minnesota. And (laughs) I'm just like, she knows. And also, I will say Maeve, I was going to say was, she still very much is a lesbian. So and like her and her and she was like oh yeah me and my best friend john quote this all the time and like they were they were they were little gay buddies and so i'm just like oh so like this is just a thing that all queer people love this movie like i've i mean aside from i guess mike because mike when i told him we were doing drop to gorgeous he's like i will be listening to that episode i'm like first of all you piece of shit why aren't you listening to every episode um Secondly, I think Mike might be the only straight man I know who like really likes this movie. I showed it to my husband and he's like, yeah, it's, it's fine. Like, I'm like, yeah. really? <laughs> like, he didn't dislike it, which is good. He didn't look at me yeah. worse because of it. But um, I will say Jason liked this movie, so. There you go. Thank um, you, Jason. The only good straight man, question mark. Um, <laughs> so let, let's contextualize the era. I love talking about the late 90s. I really do. Um, it's great. Yeah. Like, late 90s, early 2000s, I feel like this is, like, the la- last great passion of, like, black comedy. And, you know. I love this movie. I'm not going to be so foolish as to compare it to Dr. Strangelove or even a Coen Brothers um, movie, like black comedy. But I do think this was kind of like that last gasp from a golden era. Aside from those few exceptions, like Burn After Reading is obviously a great black comedy that came out after this. 
The things I've seen it since this build as black comedies to me aren't really black comedies. Like Knives Out is labeled as a black comedy. I would never call that a black comedy. I think it's too ridiculous and like too kind of no. silly to be a black comedy. Um, well, that's the thing. Why I love Knives Out is because it's it's very much a form of like the the old style like locked room mystery yes. like you know, Poirot, Agatha Christie kind of thing, but for, like, a new era. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why it works. But I wouldn't call it a black comedy at all. No, not at all. And then I see things like Bad Santa calling itself black comedy. I'm like, that's just crude. Crudeness is not black comedy. Taboo is black comedy. On a s- side note, though, I have to ask, on the topic of hit or miss black comedy, do you consider Death to Smoochie a good movie? I haven't seen Death to Smoochie in ages. Uh-huh. And I don't know if I could tell you what I think about it. Oh, uh, yeah. I It's one of those <laughs> movies that, like, every 10 years, I'm like, should I rewatch this movie and figure out if it's good? I have for any time, though, I see um, a graffiti penis, which is all the time in my town. Teens, stop it. Um, I mean, that is, like, probably the number one thing to graffiti. I would do dick butt, personally. But when I see a graffiti penis, <laughs> my first thing is I hear Robin Williams' voice yelling, it's a rocket ship. So <laughs> that's if, if I had children and they came across that, that's what I'd say. It's it's a rocket ship. Um, also, why does my town take forever to cover up the graffiti penises that are literally on city sidewalks? Don't know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so it's it's kind of hard. Like I will often like contextualize this in terms of like the creators' careers and stuff. But it's really hard to contextualize this episode and talk about Lona Williams' career because she was at this point, and I would also say like even since then a little bit such an unknown entity and like she did another very underrated movie after this which was sugar and spice oh my gosh i did not know that she wrote that movie also and i was like oh my god everything in my life makes sense it makes so much (laughs) sense when you know that she wrote that um because i loved that movie and that movie is like i would not build that as a good movie i think it's a bad movie but it's very fun um i've softened on it but i feel like i've softened on it because i know it's lona williams you know i'm probably being a bit too nice to it because i would say that like she is between Sugar and Spice, which, like, uh, you know, maybe like Small Soldiers, like we determined, maybe it's almost a good movie. Um, mm-hmm. I think it, that movie is helped a lot by Marley Shelton. Um, Marley Shelton yeah. is amazing. Um, she is almost like my Kirsten Dunst. Um, but, uh, yeah, like, she, to to me, those two movies to combine together are some of the best, like, sit- satire aimed at young women. Like, there's not a lot of satire we get aimed at us as young women. So she just wasn't part of the 90s context, but her career is really interesting because, fun fact you might not know, she started out as an assistant in the Simpsons writer's room. Um, So if you've watched the episode Lisa the Beauty Queen, she did the voice of Amber Dempsey. Um, I thought... For a while, I, I guess I misremember that she'd gotten wrapped up in the King, King of the Hilliverse, but she had not. Because there's also a Beauty Pageant episode of King of the Hill probably that makes a lot of shortly sense. after this. But um, uh, yeah, I was incorrect in this. I mean, King of the Hill was taking off right around the time that this and Sugar and Spice were kind of going through the machine. But as a writer's assistant, even though she doesn't have her name on any episodes, I guarantee you her ideas were making it through to the episode Lisa the Beauty Queen because like you have uh, Amber Dampsey, the pageant patty. I, I've i never been in a beauty pageant. That is what they those types are apparently called as pageant patty. Um, I should ask Kelsey, have you ever been in a pageant? Um, I'm pretty sure my grandmother put me in a pageant when I was like 
four, Aww. but I don't really remember it. Um, I've never been in like a real like yeah. beauty teen pageant, beauty pageant, yeah. and I would, would never want to be. A girl I went to high school with was like really into them, mm-hmm. and like they're like a thing in Kentucky, mm-hmm. and like like people like I know people who did them, and like you know you see the Miss Kentucky and um on the parade floats and everything and is it a big south thing is that why like i think it i think it is i think a beauty pageant is a much more southern thing but i don't actually know because yeah. i'm not in that world but, yeah i um, i've been in a pageant but not a beauty pageant which is to say like because i competed once for a national title with um with dance um we had to appear in a pageant but it was more like just introducing yourself um and like thanking your choreographers and stuff and kind mm-hmm. of like you were judged in presentation but really it was it amounted to like saying five sentences um yeah but weirdly i i placed like in the top three for interview and presentation out of like 50 people and then was like 35th out of 50 for my solo <laughs> yeah I, I think I think the thing that always surprised me growing up about people who were in beauty pageants was that like they weren't the people you would think would be in beauty pageants like they were as the far Tammy as, like, Curry the s- type no they were like more like the Amber Atkins type like oh. they were more like they weren't necessarily like you know um the Denise Richards, they weren't, like, the most beautiful, most popular girl. They were, like, kind of just, I don't want to say mid, but, like, <laughs> popularity-wise, mm-hmm. kind of mid. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, and I feel like that's because there's this theme that keeps coming up in this movie, which is, like, the idea of the ticket out and the ticket out of your small town. And for a lot of people, that's different. Like, we have, we all have a different ticket out. But, like, when I was living in Timmins, Ontario, even by 10 years old, I understood the idea of, like, people look for their ticket out of here. Um, but, yeah, so you have Amber Dempsey, who is the pageant patty character in Lisa the Beauty Queen, who, um, you know, was scientifically created in a lab to win anything, said pageant Patty gets her crown stripped after a horrible freak accident, lots of Vaseline on the teeth jokes, a temperamental choreographer. Like, this is basically, this is the blueprint of Drop Dead Gorgeous. So you could tell, like, I mean, Lona Williams, who, by the way, she was stunning. When she, she, I mean, she's yeah. still a beautiful woman, but she was stunning. But she grew up doing the youth pageant circuit, went to nationals. Of course, with Drop Dead Gorgeous, she was able to also combine that with her background of growing up in beautiful Mount Rose, Minnesota. Mount Rose is not actually <laughs> a real place. But um, her her hometown is Rosemount, Minnes- Rosemount, Minnesota. There you go. Same thing. <laughs> um, so it's interesting, though, because I feel like a lot of comedy in this movie comes from things that people were obsessed with in the 90s. Like, I feel like, we, for one thing, we were obsessed with the cliches of beauty pageants. Like, I think at the time, even though beauty pageants were still a thing, they still are a thing, um, despite, like, the Trump associations. Um, mm-hmm. But, like, the 90s were all about making fun of beauty pageants, and that was even before some people don't have maps. And, well, I was just going to say, and, like, think about how successful Miss Congeniality was. Yeah, only, like, what, a year or two later? And even... Yeah. I know this isn't a good example because I don't think this movie is super remembered, but did you ever watch a movie named <gasps> is it Beautiful? Beautiful but with Minnie Driver? <gasps> I yes. love that movie. You know, I love that movie. <laughs> that song introduced me, or that movie introduced me to the song Will You Love Me Tomorrow, which is, to this day, my audition song when I do, um, when I do theater auditions, which I haven't done a theater audition in 10 years, but, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, like, we were really obsessed with making fun of beauty pageant cliches, but also we were fucking obsessed with trailer parks and making fun of trailer parks in the 90s. Um, I can't speak for obsession with the Midwest, but, I mean, Fargo had just... 
come out a few years earlier. So like, I feel like the 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 um, the roadway had kind of been paved for this, the, or the runway, I should say. Um, but yeah, I feel like the mockumentary format, that's where it's tricky. And that's what might have kind of started out as the alienating premise for the audience. Um, there's a lot of sincerity from this coming from Williams, but at the same time, at the same time, it it's an alienating premise because middle America might see something like this and think like, hey, they're laughing at us. Like, I know people felt that way. People in Texas felt that way about King of the Hill. Um, so Kelsey, as someone who grew up in Kentucky, because like there's a lot of humor that is derived from like making fun of the South. Did you ever feel like that was kind of a thing with comedies growing up? I mean, not this one, obviously, because this is more Midwest, but like, yeah. is that part of the culture kind of in, in the South or like feeling like you're always being made fun of by Hollywood? I think it's def there's definitely some of that. I think... I think you can kind of tell when it's coming from a place of, like, it's hard to pinpoint, but, like, I feel like I can kind of tell when it's coming from a place of, like, I grew up with these people. I know what they're like. I can make fun of them, mm -hmm. um, which I feel like is where Lana Williams is coming from. Absolutely. Um, and when you can, and when it's coming from, like, for lack of a better term, coastal elites. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, just wanting to make fun of people who they perceive as, like, stupid Worse, yeah. or, or just like the butt of a joke um and i think while you know i think some people think you can't tell i think you can and i think i think the comedy is so much sharper when it is coming from someone inside of it mm -hmm. um and i think that's part of the reason this movie works mm -hmm. um i agree like and yeah i yeah, I definitely feel like it's a trend, but I think a lot of the time it's coming from people who grew up in those situations and have the ability to sort of satirize and, and make them humorous. Yeah. And it like, I think what I find is I've always said there's humor and specificity. And that's why like that kind of humor from an affectionate place can like, um, like why it's so effective because you can do such specific jokes like the jokes about how even in cities, there's like nothing but farm fields, like now having spent a semi-significant amount of time in not just the Midwest, but the rural Midwest, because they do a lot of farm shows for work. And I'm pulling this up because I was texting a friend of the show, Luke, a couple days ago, talking about the Midwest. And I said, it'll be like, these are my exact words here. It'll be like farm field, farm field, destitute downtown, farm field, affluent subdivision, division, chemical waste plant, farm field, rail yard, college campus, farm field, high rise, and a million targets. A million So targets. many targets. The, inexplicably, like car dependency far as the eye can see and an unflinching adoration for the worst politicians on the planet. Um, but yeah, so like, I, I think that's why, that's part of why I, I agree with you that it works. Um, but now we talk about this movie flopping and what I didn't realize, like, I think I was aware of the fact that it was a commercial flop pretty early on because mainly because it's like, I don't remember this even coming to my theater. Um, but also, well, and also none of the girls at school liked it. And cause like, this was in my era where I was like, I need to fit in with the girls. I need to watch the movies that the girls are watching, you know? Um, <laughs> and none of them liked this movie. But I didn't realize that it was also a flop critically. I figured critics understood the magic of this, but critics called it unfunny. Like, LA Weekly basically said it wasn't dark enough, which, like, fuck you if you don't think this movie is dark enough. A girl gets a blow to the head that makes her deaf and she's happy about it. <laughs> right? Like, literally, a, a girl gets blown up on a tractor in, like, the first 20 minutes. And, like, like <laughs> jokes I did not understand until I was older that, like, I know she, Tammy only liked to smoke after a long drive. She said the vibrations <laughs> helped her think. Like, oh, my. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> yeah, so like the crudeness of it was criticized. Some said it was like cheap or felt like the movie of the week, but there was also the idea of like that the whole movie, like first of all, that the ending quote unquote drags, which I think to me is almost part of the brilliance of it because everyone wants the ending of it to be the end of the pageant. Um, and mm. like, the, there's the anti-climax of it. And that's like part of the critical dissonance. People seem to find it unsettling. Not only that, like that Amber didn't actually beat Becky or any of the girls at state, nationals doesn't happen. But to me, the idea of subverting a satisfying climax, first of all, it's more realistic in general. It's much more realistic if you're making a, a mockumentary or a documentary. Um, but like subverting a satisfying climax is risky in a teen movie but there's a reason those of us who were teens and tweens in that era um love this movie and that's because teen movies can be challenging like i love the teen movies from this era i love late 90s early 2000s teen movies but like this is one of the more challenging teen movies because it doesn't reward your cleverness it doesn't give you a lot of sex appeal it's like it's just straight up and kind of mean and very cynical and it's not a placating movie you know? Yeah, I think like I it baffles me that people don't understand the ending because I think the ending of this movie, how it ends and how it kind of drags out is what makes it so brilliant mm -hmm. because it's, you know, it's not about like the best woman winning. It's about the idea of a beauty pageant being like a, a sort of like fallacy mm -hmm. And, and being and and sort of it folding in on itself. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you know, from the outset that Amber is the most deserving at the local level and she should win. Mm -hmm. And the fact that she doesn't is real and kind of visceral. And like, what would happen? Right. <laughs> um, and then, you know. I, I just, I I think that the, you know, and the thing is, like, it is a happy ending for her, though. She does what she wants to do. Mm -hmm. She gets to be a news anchor. Like, and it's a she's... funny thing of, like, it's a funny little American dream commentary of, like, she gets everything she wants, but not through hard work, even though she is a hard worker. Everything she mm -hmm. achieves is through failing up. Um, but mm -hmm. she's like, okay, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna complain about this. I'm damn happy. Um, yeah. And, like... Even I, I always think like one of my favorite shots at the very end is when they're destroying the Sarah Rose headquarters and there's that one girl. She her, the shot is so iconic because she has like what I call the um, the '90s hairstyle catalog haircut. Um, when you're you know in the when you're in the '90s like hair salon, you're like looking through the the cuts to see what you want. My grandma had a lot of these because she's got that short kind of spiky blonde look and the blood curling scream she lets out. Because when you think about it, like the, the, the movie, I mean, first of all, the movie is about Amber's um, kind of reckoning with this like, Faith, this dying faith in the American dream like not to sound too like woo woo about it but that's what it is because she has this like gumption to her this like you know like I can make something of myself if I work hard enough but you can tell there's already like a bit of the light behind her eyes that's dying and so it's like I just got to believe in myself I just got to get through it but then when the girls all break down at nationals, you wonder, like, for how many of them was this also their ticket out? You know, because, yeah, one of these girls might be Miss Los Angeles or, you know, Miss, um, like, some fucking affluent Connecticut town. I don't know. I don't know the Northeast. Um, but Greenwich. Like, there you go. <laughs> um, but then one of them might be, like, um, even, hell, I'd even feel bad for Miss Madison, Wisconsin. You know, like, it's... 
Uh, so, like, for how many of them was it supposed to be their ticket out to? And does the folding of Sarah Rose represent the loss of every lifeline they had? So, mm-hmm. wow, we're getting deep about Chopped Gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a deep movie, it I is. think. I think it is. And and- I think it says a lot about... I don't know. Like it says, like it does say a lot about like the idea of the American dream and the working class in America and the white working class in America specifically, um, and the sort of like cycle of, especially in these like rural towns, mm-hmm. the the sort of dying way of life. <laughs> um, yeah, like I didn't realize it until I mean, so I've kind of been all over to these like middle of nowhere. Well, not middle of nowhere. That's probably not a nice term to use, but these um not near any major city um like farming communities uh over the last couple of years for my job. And actually, when I was in Wisconsin this year, I wasn't that far from Madison, but um you know, like these places that feel stuck in another time in a very homey but also sad way this very resigned way and you start to realize that like yeah these like and this was an affectionate parody in 1998 and it was commenting on the feeling of being stuck and it's like these people still feel stuck um now this is an incredibly stacked cast um one of the best parts of it besides dunst is obviously alice and janney this was not my intro to Alice and Janney because I had seen 10 Things I Hate About You earlier, but I was like, oh my God, this is a, it's the horny secretary from 10 Things I Hate About You. <laughs> um, but I think people forget though that Janney was not a megastar back then. I, I don't know if I call her megastar now, but she's had a, like two decades on TV and won an Oscar. She's, so she's a capital S star. Yeah, she's like, people know who she is. Absolutely. Um, and people and, know that she can do anything, but she has said people ask her about this movie the most. And this was pre-West Wing. Like, she was basically a theater performer before this. Um, I forgot she was in 10 Things I Hate About You. Yeah, she's <laughs> like, in, like, two Iconic, scenes. iconic role. This movie has two things in common with 10 Things I Hate About You, which is Alice and Janney and Can't Take My Eyes Off of You. Um... <laughs> <laughs> oh man the jesus um so the the other big before they were famous casting here is obviously amy adams who has amazing mm-hmm. arms and frankly has great technique on that back walkover i always try to teach all my students that their legs should be that straight when they start their back walkover um but um one of the things that i was reading in the um i don't know if you've ever read the kind of oral history of um drop dead gorgeous and buzzfeed it's called jesus loves winners I literally have it open on my computer to read at some point. The director was Alquit, the director saying, um, one of the big things about trying to cast local, I remember telling the studio at the time that we were going to have trouble finding actresses with normal eyebrows because at the time, the thing was these really thin sculpted eyebrows. Almost every actress in Hollywood had these manicured eyebrows and now everyone kind of does. But at the time, if you go to middle America, those girls were not trying to be face scraped in the same meticulous manner. And it's funny because this was written, I, I don't know when, but like a couple years ago. And I feel like now is more like there's so much commentary on everyone has the same face now. So I yeah. know, just reading that gives me a chill. But yeah, the, the authentic Midwestern eyebrows and like that Amy Adams, <laughs> but my God, her eyebrows look amazing. But also she, <sighs> it was just like incredible. And like she has this light about her where like you her character is supposed to be the character you hate because she's the slutty cheerleader but she's basically like a slightly less clever version of amber she also very much wants out she's a bit of a tragedy um she's 
concealing a pregnancy. Like, <laughs> I love I think that. I think one of the brilliant things about um, the casting of this, of the girls specifically, is that they all feel really real and really, like, you know, like, it could, the thing is, like, I think we sort of view and, like, we as a society, not, like, we, like, you and me, yeah, um, view pageant girls as, like, sort of one type, mm-hmm. like, the, the Denise Richards type, the the pageant Rebecca Patties, yeah. Lehman type, the pageant Patty type, mm-hmm. and I think that is kind of what critics were expecting. Yeah. At least that's kind of what I glean, because all of the reviews of this compare it to a movie from, I think, the 70s that was, like, a satire of, like, pageants mm-hmm. um, that they, like, think is better. <laughs> um, I've never heard of that movie, and so I was like, I think y'all aren't giving this movie a shot. But anyway, um, but all of these girls feel real and feel like they have real motivation to win, Um even if, like, we know that, like, some of them aren't going to. <laughs> um and I think I think there's something really kind of beautiful about their sort of kinship with each other yeah. at the end. I, um, I agree. Uh, I think Brittany Murphy is, like, beautifully cast and beautifully used here and RIP to, R. like, a light in the world. Um, like You know, this was actually, because I've been watching King of the Hill for a couple years at this point, this was what made me realize, hey, that's the voice of Luann, because I hadn't seen Clueless yet. And it's when she laughs at the beginning. Um, God, I love the running bit about her breath. Here he is, Esmedana. Fly as Just like <laughs> the, the whisper, as Barbara. Like, I love her and I love Peter. Um, I love that she was conceived as a kidney donor. Yeah. Um, like, again, they only had me because Peter needed that kidney. A little tragedy. I love her so much. Um, yeah. And when she's like shouting at her dad at the end, he's like, well, you know what? Peter's gay. Gay! <laughs> <laughs> she's so good at yelling. Uh, she's so yeah. good at yelling. Um, she's great. I love the girl who plays um, Janelle, who mm-hmm. gets becomes deaf by getting it on the head, but she's obsessed with sign language. Like so, and she's like happy about it. <laughs> she does some really amazing facial gymnastics. There's something about her without being ha- like without meaning that she's hammy. She's got a real like rubber face. This girl. Yeah. 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 Um, this movie also has a strange uh, connection to um, Gilmore Girls, um, the famously New England Gilmore Girls, which is Daniel Pallone was a producer on both, and he said like he cut his teeth on Drop Dead Gorgeous. He's gone on to have a pretty amazing career uh he was quoted in buzzfeed saying that he was directly inspired by amber and annette's relationship with this kind of like messy like friendship um and that like he he pitched that as kind of the starting concept for uh for gilmore girls to amy sherman paladino yeah yeah interesting because like god gilmore girls is so new england that it's like it's so hard to like think about like that as the starting point because it'd be a very different movie Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I totally agree but oh and I love I look there's so many good jokes in this movie when like the documentary crews like ask Amber about her dad Mm-hmm. And they're like, you know, she was always honest that he chose uh, chose his career over us. That's Once right. a carny, always a carny. <laughs> I was like, yes, yes, I agree. Uh, 
Um, but yeah, so this this cast is so stacked, and like from the from the actual contestants in the pageant, like who are amazing and who are doing some really amazing fun things with like their sort of like types that they're playing. Oh, the the drama girl is like I love her so much. I, I feel like she's kind of overlooked, but like. When she she's like I, she does Soylent Green as her talent, I'm just like oh my god <laughs> every time because I know that girl like I I know her, <laughs> um, but the like the adult cast is so good as well. Kirstie Alley, Allison Janney, Ellen Barkin, um, Mindy Sterling. This was the Mindy only Sterling thing I'd seen her in besides Austin Powers, and she is Sam McMurray. Oh, Sam McMurray, um, like original <laughs> Simpsons voice cast. He was a season one utility player. Uh, you know, I think they were hoping that he was going to be like their Harry Shearer and stuff. But um, yeah, this, I, I believe uh, Lona Williams had been on the Tracy Ullman show, which made sense because then she ended up going into the Simpsons. Mm-hmm. And so some of these were players for the Tracy Ullman show. Um, I yeah. want to mention also not an actual Simpsons connection, but the actor Matt Malloy, who plays the creepy judge John Doe. I actually thought for years that that was Dan Castellaneta because like when you <laughs> see Dan Castellaneta pop up in, in human roles now and like that's what he looks like um, <laughs> and he sounds obviously nothing like Homer because that's what voice acting is voice acting is a talent yeah. for a reason but yeah like Matt Malloy who played uh, John Doe I, I love him but since we're talking about the judges can we talk let's talk about Will Sasso and Will Sasso yeah we gotta we gotta talk about it because it's kind of the only thing that doesn't really hold up yeah. In my opinion, it, it doesn't. It, it, in some ways, it does. Hold, it doesn't hold up. In one sense, I almost. It's not that I want to defend it, but I always say, like, I think this is also a really good time capsule for people to understand just how common and how like no one would have flinched at. I mean, I think I personally did flinch at the use of the R word even at the time because yeah, I grew up in a house where it's like don't say the R word, but we can still make fun of developmentally disabled people as long as we're not actually calling them the R word, you know, like that's yeah. kind of the environment in which I grew up. Um, like, I think, you know, it's, so I'm not going to say like, Oh, it was fine. Cause it was the nineties. Like it, ableism is never appropriate. Um, it's, but I would describe this as like the nineties was the height of short bus humor. And I think it's the kind of thing where the humor isn't just derived from the fact that he's developmentally disabled. The humor is derived from the fact that he's developmentally disabled and like destitute. Like he is lower class. And so like their class makes them less sympathetic. I mean, I do think it like I hate to say it, but there's an enjoyable aspect of it in the sense that he and his brother have almost like a 1920s screwball like kind of thing going on with the way they just kind of slap fight with each other. (laughs) Um, But yeah, like I I still, I don't want to defend, I don't want to come across like I'm defending it. I I will say I found some humor in it and I at least like there are parts of it where I enjoy where like the movie appears to be a bit more on Hank's side. Um, Yeah, for sure. I think that's funnier than like him running through the store and running into the wall. Like that's a, that's stupid to me. That's fucking stupid. Um, Mm -hmm. But I like the idea of like seeing that he has broken free from the car by taking off his overalls. I like him holding the kid in a headlock, probably because I assume those kids were making fun of him. So, um, you know, like, but yeah, and like when Will Sasso says he gets asked, he gets recognized from that movie. I'm like, do you want to brag about that? Because like that was really yeah. offensive. He's like, 
I've I've worked with developmentally disabled young adults, and you know some. Yeah. It, it's not so much like developmentally disabled people have a sense of humor, um, especially although this is not the case because he's not his he is not a character with Down syndrome. Like people with Down syndrome have a sense of humor. Um, mm-hmm. One of my favorite accounts on TikTok is this girl who's always posting like her adventures because her adult sister with Down syndrome lives with her, and um, the way they the way they like make fun of each other and like calling each other names and stuff is like like see you later extra chromosome, and her sister always calls her <laughs> um, Billy Ray fucking Cyrus. Um, so like i'll see you later extra chromosome i'll see you later depression um so (laughs) but like this the problem is you know (laughs) to quote another very problematic movie is that sasa went full r word because it's like nowadays if we were going to have a a developmentally disabled character well does, does he have down syndrome is he autistic does he have global developmental delay and like you can tell the line of thinking with this is no he's just r word you yeah know? he's just our yeah word. and so yeah. that's where i'm like yeah like you've got to do better than this anyway i'm, I'm not gonna yeah, and i think that like the movie but yeah the main problem is that it's played completely for comedy like it's mm-hmm. it's like he's not there for any other reason mm-hmm. um and like and I think that's the the main problem. Is he's not really a character, um, it, as he as much as he is a joke, and that's like upsetting. And you can't really defend that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you're right that it is like a very specific time capsule into like how those people were treated at that time, and that's uh, a problem. And like I like Will Sasso. I think he's a good actor, and I I like him in things that I've seen him in. Um, uh, but. Yeah, I think this is not, <laughs> no. not uh, you know, not the best. And that's not, like, totally his fault. Um, uh, and, like, I do laugh every time when they're showing him stuck to the car and there's the caption that's, like, it's it the documentary not- cruise not to interfere with the subjects. Like, And I'm just like, I shouldn't laugh at this, but it is funny. <laughs> yeah, and see, that is yeah. one thing where I am actually laughing at the situation as opposed to... Yeah. Because it felt like they're like, you know what this movie could really use? A disabled person. Like, yeah. Fuck that. Um, yeah. So, also, in, in terms of supporting characters, Tammy Curry would. I love <laughs> Tammy Curry. She is so my type. But the funny thing is, I remember one time I was watching this and I was still pretty young, and my mom kind of comes around and she looks and she stares and she goes, huh. I was basically a short-haired version of this girl in high school and walks out. And I immediately <laughs> understood my mom so much more, but I've I've had this I've had a working theory and I can only say this now because my mom doesn't fucking know what a podcast is. Um <laughs> that my mom, if she had realized when she was young that being gay was an option, she would have never turned back. Um at which again, my mom is Tammy Curry. Like <laughs> She like my mom, much like Tammy Curry, was very good at everything she ever did. Um, she like it, it, she had, and she always walked around in her letter jacket, in her um, in her baseball jacket. Um, <laughs> um, so <laughs> so yeah, like I, I I mean my mom didn't ride around on a thresher, but uh, my mom my mom was from a town of uh, twenty five hundred people and lettered in three sports. <laughs> Right, because you uh, field hockey is your sport. I played field hockey from about age eight until age twenty-two in college. So. Um, I played lacrosse in from seventh grade to uh, to the end of high school. But mm. field hockey, I played for longer. But you know what's cool? I was better in, at lacrosse. You know what's cool <laughs> in my small little town is they let girls on the football teams now. 
have. Uh, well, my my mom my mom lettered in in football. What? That's so uh, she, awesome. She didn't get to play, but yeah. she was the she was the trainer for football cool. in her high school. Um, she is very sporty. Yeah. Um, she was she was a real Tammy Curry type. <laughs> um, <laughs> she was inducted Tammy into the Pineville High School Athletic Hall of Fame a couple years ago. Um, <laughs> um, and then there's another casting note I want to say, and I'm going to embarrass um, my ex slash friend of the show, Luke. Um, he had this moment uh, when I showed him this movie, which I think he liked this movie. Um, but I have to quote him saying, oh, my God, Adam West is a real person. Because at <laughs> the time, you have to understand that Adam West voiced a fictionalized version of himself on Family Guy. And if you'd never watched the Batman TV show growing up and you were a millennial, you probably didn't know who Adam West was. And so you just thought he was a crazy Family Guy character. Um, I think... I think that's like, I... Jason and I talk a lot about how watching a lot of VH1 as a kid um, really shaped our... Uh, cultural <laughs> understanding mm-hmm. and that's definitely one of the things like I knew Adam West is he's the original Batman like mm-hmm. um but like I probably learned that after I saw this movie <laughs> yeah I to be honest so I didn't get VH1 growing up um I yeah. um I knew who Adam West was because of the Simpsons episode that he was on with Mr. Plow um mm-hmm. and that was where I got the idea that Adam West was really into making fun of himself um and not even like these days if you're a celebrity who likes to make fun of themselves it becomes like a meme and then you get like a lot of rules based on that I feel like he did it just enough. you get you, you know? get Ryan Reynolds, basically. Yeah, it's so... I hate that he's lost all his charm. You know what I watched? Me too! It's really upsetting! He, I mean, good for him being a sick kid spokesperson with the Leafs, but, like, mm. yeah, it's just, like, he's just he's just there all the time now. He's, like, a fucking fungus. Like, um, yeah. No, I, I watched for the first time uh, a couple months ago Buried uh, from 2010, which I'd never seen, and this was, like, before he was, like, a megastar. Um, it's actually a really good movie. It reads a lot like a play, like a one-act play, but it's it's a really good kind of challenging movie. Um, the editing is very of its time, but other than that, it's it's a really strong movie. I kind of, I would do a special episode on this, except I didn't see it via traditional media first. So, um, but no, as I, d- I don't know this movie, so I'm... He's literally the only character in it. I mean, you have a couple voice actors, um, but he's the only person you see on screen. And a snake. Um yeah but uh yeah so i'll say that he's I- in he's in my favorite uh late 90s kristen uh kirsten dunn's vehicle dick um oh <laughs> which i'd be happy God. to do an p- episode on because I, I love that movie you know when i was narrowing down which ones i wanted to do i have to say dick didn't come up but it should have dick didn't come up. oh it's <laughs> it's such a great movie and that's another movie that i like i own on dvd and that i make people watch mm-hmm. i saw it in, they, they showed it at one of the uh at one of the theaters here this summer and that's what I did on 4th of July that's cool <laughs> was it this summer or was it last summer but yeah I saw it in theaters it's still fucking great yeah. it's so good <laughs> my Adam West is a real person moment um, was when I first watched The Office and learned that Scranton Pennsylvania was a real place because I thought it was a place that Harry Chapin made up for 30,000 pounds of bananas not only did I found, find out that Scranton was real but also that that banana incident was real <laughs> Yeah. I have been to Scranton, Pennsylvania. Well, isn't that where Biden's from? He's from Delaware, I thought. Oh, I thought he was from Scranton. Okay, someone I mean, maybe someone he's from famous. Maybe 
Maybe yeah. he's from Scranton and, like, uh, represented Delaware. He was a senator from Delaware, I mean, I'm fairly sure. That's the thing, mm. is politicians are, quote-unquote, from everywhere. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so let's talk about the Dunst Factor. Um, so two yes. days ago, we talked about how um, Small Soldiers and... Um, and Drop Dead Gorgeous were released the same year. And this was pretty much around the time Dunst was making that incredibly smooth transition from kid star to adult star. Like, again, I can't overstate enough that I feel like she had one of the best transitions from kid star to adult star. She did not have an awkward phase of her career at no, all. No one did it like her. No one did it like her. No one's done it like her since. Like, mm-hmm. she is an icon. And I think she is, she is, I have a theory that she, like, um, Brad Pitt is a character actor who mm-hmm. people perceive as being a leading person. Yes. <laughs> and that has really helped her get roles and mm-hmm. succeed in roles. Um, I think there's... And I... Yeah, go ahead. I think there's a weird thing that happens, and maybe it wasn't happening quite as much around this time, but in the 2000s, we started to really see a lot of actresses do their, like, I am serious now, give me Oscar kind of thing. Like, you know, we saw, like, yeah. Shirley's Theron, and hey, I'm, I don't want to talk down on it, because I don't want to act like Shirley's Theron did not deserve her Oscar for Monster. Monster remains one of the most upsetting movies that, like, I have no desire to ever watch again. Um, I have never seen it for that exact reason. It's just <laughs> super upsetting, like, but in that sense it kind of is oscar bait because you watch it for the performance um where dunst specifically seemed to stay away from oscar baity things it but she still has given like i mean did she i don't think she won an oscar yet but she's been nominated now finally um i think so yeah, yeah. well i mean she was nominated for interview right like when she was little little i don't know i should probably have this uh, all memorized much better but um but yeah, like even something like her turn in Eternal Sunshine or The Virgin Suicides and stuff like that, where mm-hmm. uh, Maria... Which Jeanette's- also came out... So The Virgin Suicides came out the same year as this movie, as well as the same year as Dick. All three of those movies came out the same year. And and then she got Wild. right to work on Spider-Man and bring it on. Like this girl was busy. No matter... No wonder she like is so, so fit and so in shape. I can imagine she was literally jogging between sets, like taking her meal through yeah. a little like hamster water bottle. <laughs> she was nominated for an Oscar for Power of the Dog. Yeah, but that's, that's her only Oscar nomination. Really, I could have sworn she was nominated for Interview, but obviously I'm incorrect about that. Yeah. But yeah, Power of the Dog. Um, her and Plemons, like my favorite couple. He's a character actor that everyone knows. He's a character actor. But the thing was, yeah. he had to he had to gain weight for people to realize he's a character actor. Right, and that's like silly. <laughs> it is. I like him though so much better as a chubby actor. I really yeah. do because he doesn't look like Matt Damon and he doesn't look like Mr. All-American. So that's the thing about Kirsten yeah. Dunst is like her All-American look is so interesting because of the way it complements her comedy. Uh, I think what writers saw in Kirsten Dunst at the time is a quality that made her so much more than just a pretty face is that she's funny. But oftentimes in Hollywood, like funny women who are also pretty, they're characterized as being funny despite their prettiness. Because you're either funny or you're pretty. Yeah. And if you're funny and pretty, you're funny despite your prettiness. But her humor complements her looks, like, because she has, she is so Americana. And again, this movie is about the, um, like, kind of her little American dream. The humor she derives comes from a place of, like, wide-eyed meets like slowly becoming jaded and someone who's been kicked in the ass by the american dream it works so well with how she looks how she speaks the this softness she has like i love it yeah i think i think that's um 
one of the things I, I think about uh, a lot with Dick, especially, which I, if you like this movie, I highly recommend watching it, watching oh, Dick, because it's... I haven't seen Dick um, since the ninth grade. You should... It, I think it holds up well. I think it's really great still. Um, uh, Michelle Williams also is, like, maybe her performance that I love the most in her entire career. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but um, I think the great thing about Kirsten Dunst, like you said, is like she has this sort of like all-American look and she is great at projecting like naivete mm-hmm. while still like telling you there's something more there. Like, because she's, she's great at playing like a dumb blonde, but it, that's not all there is and that's never all there is to her. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, so hard and so wonderful because like it'd be really easy to just make this character stupid to just make to make this character the amy adams character Mm -hmm. who like i actually think amy adams is bringing a lot more to that character too so like i don't want to like you know disparage that performance but like and it could have easily been just that and i think it would also be too easy to kind of go the other way and make amber too clever and too jaded you know yeah that, that's why i think this movie is so much more complicated than people realize and amber is a way more complicated character than people yeah. realize because you see like it's basically like you see her growing up um mm-hmm. and uh like has she been in better movies than this yes um but the only other character she's played that i would classify as more iconic than amber atkins is torrent shipman which is again a role that could have been written as a dumbass but is absolutely mm-hmm. not. So Amber Atkins is very much my number one girl. Yeah. And I think she's she's very, um, uh, for lack of a better word, like likable. Like mm-hmm. you want to like her. And I think that is somewhat down to, Kirsten Dunst is somewhat down to the writing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you want to root for this person and that's important. And I honestly think that like other than... Um, Rebecca, you're kind of rooting for all of them, which is which is really surprising, I think. Like you you want all of these these weird crazy women to succeed. And like they're so, they're so their weirdness is so heightened that like it feels so real to me. It feels like it feels like it could it could have been so much more flat, I guess. But because they're they're in this sort of mockumentary style where everything is like a little bit more um it just it works so well i agree all right so uh on that on that note we're going to the holodance lightning round oh boy oh my god i didn't look at these questions beforehand this is perfect no thoughts just thoughts we're we're going in kneelander style um so not a thought in his head (laughs) big big head you could fit you could fit three living rooms in that living room um that is a he does have a big head (laughs) um okay so if you could pick your top three in the pageant who would it be um, it is definitely Amber, mm-hmm. number one. She deserves that tap number is the best one is the best talent. It is. I, I don't I don't care what you say. <laughs> like it is the best talent. I have some great thoughts about it, but I'll save it for after. I'm sure like yeah. I, I'm not a dancer and I'm sure it's not like the best tap dancing ever, but it's the best talent out of those. No, I was gonna say that's actually what I like about it is that it's yeah. not the most advanced tapping or tap dancing, yeah. sorry. Um and I like that because to me that is really believable that that's the kind of thing she would learn at a small town studio. And it's that, yeah. like, you know, she's doing her little double wings and stuff. And I think it's so much more realistic than her yeah. doing incredibly technical tap dancing. So anyway, that was my yeah. thoughts on it. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I think uh, she would be number one. I think, oh, God, it's hard, right? 
Because I, I do judge a lot on the talent portion. Yes. I think, like, maybe she doesn't actually perform in the final one, but I think maybe Janelle would be, like, third. <laughs> I like her. She's yes. working hard. She has a cause that she supports, you know? Yeah. She She's motivated. And her, like, interpretive dance is pretty good. It's yeah. fun. <laughs> um, I guess... I love Brittany Murphy so much, but we never see her talent. So, and we know that Brittany Murphy think, can sing or could sing. So, it's yeah, a shame. and she was like, um, the character was lip syncing. I know as her talent, All I'm right. pretty sure. <laughs> but um, honestly, maybe maybe the soil and green girl. I did, I do like her. <laughs> so yeah, I go. Those, those might be my top three because yeah. so I I cannot my... put Rebecca up there. No, not at all. <laughs> Um, Amber is my obvious first choice. I, I will say that I actually think, and why can't I remember the name of Amy Adams' character? Why Leslie. That's the Leslie, only one I Leslie can Miller. remember. I actually think <laughs> Leslie Miller earned that second runner-up, so I would put her in second place. My third, yeah. though, is, um, is, it's going to be controversial. It's a three-way toss-up. I agree. Soylent <laughs> Green Girl, I think her name was Michelle. Um, I think yes. she does quite well. We However, I, the reason I can't just hand it over to her is because we never hear her speak at either the question or we, we see her do the warm ups. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, we never we don't see her speak in the pageant, but she wears a dress nice and I like her little Hollywood hats. Um, mm-hmm. I also will say Molly Howard, not great on the um, not great on the talent, but she had some of the best answers in the interview round, and she was very well-spoken. You know? True, me, true. Molly Howard. That's another really mm. problematic aspect of this movie, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and then also... But, is- like, it, but, like, I feel like it's pr- it knows it's problematic yes. in a way that the Will Sasso stuff doesn't. Yes, for sure. It's a lot more, like, <laughs> yeah. subversive, I would say. Um, yeah. But then... Yeah, um, weirdly, and I think this is just me, like, going crazy here, and I don't actually believe what I'm saying, but I want to give it to Tess Winehouse, because... I that, mean... That tw- Tess is iconic. She a twine ball on her head, like... Oh, it's so her. good. It's um, so good. I love her. Okay, so if you could pick one of the proud-to-be-an-American hats to take home with you, what would it be? I mean, it might be uh, the world's largest uh, ball of twine. <laughs> um, I'm trying to recall what all of them are at this so, moment. Um, there's obviously the Washington Monument. Uh, yeah. <laughs> there's um, Lady Liberty. Always Lady Liberty. The twine ball. Um, I'll tell you what my favorite one was. It's the atomic power one. I want to know where Molly yes! got that hat. The hat, like her, her hat is by far the best, like construction wise. Like it is, it is a hundred percent the best one. And it's just like that's Molly's parents aren't just Asian; they are Japanese. Yeah, that, like that's why I think the joke works is that they are so fucking self hating and gung ho on Amer again American dream that she's like, yes, yeah. I am very proud of the bomb that we dropped, and I'm very proud to be an Asian American. Like, oh my it's God. so fucked up. Okay, so if you... Hers, like, her, like, hers is definitely the best the best one, like, construction-wise. Yeah. Um, I honestly think, though, like, the ball of twine for me is so iconic. <laughs> In Minnesota. <laughs> and it's, it's on top of, like, a boater hat, too, yeah. and I just love the whole look. It's very good. The sound um, I it think makes that would... when it hits the ground, like... <laughs> yeah. 
I kind of misunderstood the assignment. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Remember on TikTok when uh, I understood the assignment was like a meme? I feel like that should have been like... That, that could have worked so well. Um, okay. Yeah. If you, um, maybe, I don't know if we're talking like 33-year-old you or 17-year-old you, but we're to enter the American <laughs> Teen Princess pageant, what talent of yours would you pick to have the most fun? Not necessarily to win, but to have the most fun. Okay, to have the most fun. Hmm. Damn, it's like, I like none of my talents are super like performative. I probably would have yeah. done like a monologue. Yeah. I probably would have done like... A comedy monologue um and that would have been fun i would have had a good time um mm. <laughs> i um how, how you doing what what brings you here tonight oh you're now <laughs> one of the contestants eh? um no like i um my talents i have like i divide my talents into like stuff i'm good at that no one cares about and stuff that i'm not that good at but everyone cares about um like i consider myself in terms of my most like my highest value performing art. I I am, I don't admit that I'm good at a lot of things, but I am an amazing French horn player. No one cares about the French horn. And <laughs> it's not really a solo instrument. Like there are solos you can play on it, but like French horn sounds, But that is, yeah. that is a pageant talent though. Like that is, is like a thing you would do at a pageant. Well, and it's also that I can picture myself like pulling um, like a school chair behind me, like as I said, you definitely have to play the French horn sitting down. Like you can play yeah. it standing up, but you're not gonna have a good time. Um, and but like I don't know. I think if if I want to have fun and really fuck with everyone, um, yeah, French horn for sure. Now, yeah. what's a talent of yours that you would pick to actually win? Oh God. <laughs> I don't know, because, like, maybe maybe the drama would be the winning talent and, like, the fun talent would be something else. Because, um, like, all of my supposed talents, like, the things I'm good at are, like, you know. Sports and writing and, yeah. The thing is, like, I'm not even good at sports. Like, I just did them forever. <laughs> like, I, I would say I'm a good writer and I'm I'm... I'm really good at admin, admin. <laughs> like I can organize shit. Maybe that's what I would do as my fun talent is I would just like have somebody build a mess and I would organize it. <laughs> um, Cause like, you know, Gladys Lehman, like so is a pair of culottes as her talent. <laughs> yeah. I think, I guess it's my, 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 uh, my winning. Yeah. God, that is a great line. My winning talent would probably be like a monologue. That was like what I was good at in yeah. high school that I like didn't really pursue. Mm-hmm. I did a lot of art. Maybe I would paint something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not going to win it. Like, because, like I'm not going to win a, uh, a, a beauty pageant. Mm-hmm. I did ballroom dance in middle and high school. Maybe that. It's hard to do alone though. <laughs> it is. And when you do it alone, I feel like solo female performers are always pushed to be so sexy. Um, yeah yeah not that i ever did and i was room. and i was doing like uh standard and not like latin which oh, okay. standard is not sexy <laughs> it's like but it's fun it is fun yeah. yeah um so i would say like because as much as french horn i am legitimately talented again i or i maintain that no one cares about the french horn if i wanted to win though um i would tap dance um because the thing is i consider myself like maybe an above average tap dancer but especially these days i guarantee you that i am the only tap dancer in a group because tap dancing has largely died not died out i don't want to talk about it though but it, it is really decreased in popularity um you know it's really upsetting because i love tap dancing uh, well we're, 
we've got uh, actually this is the first year uh, in a while that in order to be on our competition team at our studio, you actually have to take tap as well. So good. Yeah, it's uh, we're bringing it back. Okay, so um, is there a word or phrase? Um, and, and if so, what is it that you forever hear in a Minnesota accent because of this movie? Oh, God, for sure. But what? Um, well, what's yours? So <laughs> I will say um, the word bars. Um, that uh, Gladys has some coffee and bars. Um, bars. Bars. <laughs> um, and that is, that's also because as I learned from this movie or from commentary is that like the phrase bars Meaning, like, it means, like, general dessert bars, like, you know, a brown brownies, blondies, Nanaimo bars. Like, what we would refer to as just a, like tray a dessert bake. platter. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you call it bars. and Not bars, bars. Um, and so, like, that has led to a thing. Like, my, my husband and I will always refer to, like, have some bars. Um, yeah. So, um, now, <laughs> I don't... I don't know. Like, I'm just, like... There's so many, like, things I think about from this movie, but, like, not specifically in a Minnesota accent. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, there's... Because I love the Minnesota accent. Like, I think it's great. <laughs> and I love watching things in it. I I watched Fargo for the first time ever, actually, pretty recently. Oh, yeah? Um, yeah. Do you like it? Uh, yeah. Oh, my God. It's fucking yeah. great. It's, it's a masterpiece of black comedy mm. um, if we're talking about black comedy like yeah. it is i don't know why i asked did you like it everyone likes Fargo. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't like it i have questions mm. um i don't know yeah there's not really like there's so like i always i like like what i did at the beginning like i'm amber atkins yeah. <laughs> like that's that is the thing i think about in the minnesota accent um I also There's say the, the pronunciation of hockey, like in hockey scholarships, hockey. yeah, like that's that's mm-hmm. very much a thing for me. It always bothered me that Justin Hall didn't have much of a Minnesota accent. Upsetting. Yeah. Truly. Um, so, I mean, this is almost the same thing, but it, less tied to the accent. Like, what's your kind of favorite, like, one-liner or one of your favorite one-liners from the movie? Oh, my God. There's so many. Um, what, I, what I was thinking about a lot yesterday was at the end when he asked, the, the crew asked the girls in the bathroom if they're going to the parade and the one girl goes no i think i'm like do or something yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but there's so many i mean the swan ate my baby <laughs> it's like i think about i know christy alley was not a great person but she is so amazing in that role like yeah uh, yeah um yeah there are so many to choose from um i really oh we found one no, I just, I was thinking about what I think about in a Minnesota accent still. I think about Allison Janney saying, you are so cute. <laughs> like, in the Minnesota accent all the time. Oh, you are cute. Oh, you are married. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, lo- I love Allison Janney. Like, she does the accent very well because she's not laying it on quite as thick as everyone else. Um, but, yeah, I... Uh, so for some reason, the one one-liner that I really, really love is um, Denise Richards' um, he lifts them from the poverty they know in Mexico. Like, <laughs> because like, I've met so many people like that who say shit like that. And yeah. when when they say shit, that's the first thing I think. He lifts them from the poverty they know in Mexico. Like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. So now, what is an inappropriate joke in this movie that you will admit here on the public record, Kelsey, um, that you laughed at? I mean, I think... <laughs> 
when they're going to buy the outfits at the Mall of America and Gladys says, I told you I'd move the car if a cripple came. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, it's, um, so yeah, I love that one. Um, I will also say any, so anything with Molly Howard's parents um, yeah. fits the bill. Um, the, how much they hate their, their other daughter. Um, oh, he drops an R-bomb too. I totally yeah. forgot about that. Um, but I would say like it, um, and one thing I've learned is that I think there's almost double humor in the Molly storyline because um, it's usually the opposite way around of white parents adopting non-white children and having a savior complex uh, over that and uh, learning how fucked up the U.S. adoption system is, um, mm-hmm. which, I mean, Canada is pretty bad, too. But, like, um, everyone, if you want to be really sad, Google Georgia Tan, uh, who basically created the modern adoption system. Um, she uh, basically, um, like legalized child snatching um yeah yeah. i've i've heard of this yes um Um. but so like at the end just the fact that the ribbon on it all is that they dropped off molly at the orphanage again is just like such a sad and such an inappropriate joke i laugh every time i laugh every (laughs) fucking time um now kelsey i I suppose i should preface question number eight with her are you a gilmore girls fan at all I am, yes. Yeah. I watched all of Gilmore Girls and A Year in the Life, and I have a lot of thoughts. <laughs> I actually haven't watched the whole thing, and um, unfortunately, one of the reasons... I'm working my way through now. One of the reasons why it can't be a Tales from the Rec Room is because I first watched it via streaming and not via physical yeah. media. Fun fact, my dad has the exact same birthday as Scott Patterson. Same year. September 11th, 1958. I have the same birthday as Roy Gilmore. Not the same year, but... Um, <laughs> I would say... Scott Patterson, despite his hair, looks a lot better than my dad. So, um, but so if one of these characters could make an appearance in the Gilmore Girls universe, who would it be and why? Hmm. I mean, it's interesting, right? Because like I'm, because like Rory wants to be a, a journalist as well, mm-hmm. and so like there's there's definitely parallels there that could work. But I feel like you're you want to go for a more of a Paris type character a more out there type character mm-hmm. um I think I mean I think Brittany Murphy's character could make a very easy appearance on Gilmore Girls because presumably she moves to New York um, <laughs> um I think uh I would love to see uh like showdown between like Gladys and Emily I think that would be great um I would love. I would love to see like the the sort of like New England people just deal with people from Minnesota. It sounds crazy, <laughs> but um, I think like I think you could fold a lot of these people into there. But I think the ones that would make the easiest transition would probably be kind of any of the the contestants. Um, I think could could do pretty. You could do pretty easily, um, but. I don't know if it'd be that funny. Yeah. <laughs> I think I would love to see Mindy Sterling's character just like reinvent herself in Stars Hollow mm-hmm. or, you know, the the Connecticut. Uh, I could see her being like what she is for Gladys to Emily. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think that would be really fun. I think that maybe is the easiest transition. That would be the most fun. Okay. Um, but I would love to see I would love to see uh, Amber up in there. I think that'd be that'd be fun, too. Um, yeah, I mean, hopefully she could get out of Minnesota um, and maybe become the next Diane Sawyer. Um, maybe. But uh, I will say that, yeah, like you said, any of the contestants could slot in there. And so I will say Michelle, the drama girl, because I think 
Um, I think I could see Rory, I don't know, writing an op-ed in the school paper and fat shaming her performance. Uh, you know, I'm aware of my Gilmore Girls lore, at least. Yeah. Um, so, and it's funny because I hope you have something on hand for this because I had a few selections and I've entirely forgotten this. Who's your favorite minor character? Well, who counts as minor? See, I was generally, my personal thing was anyone who's not a contestant, but, um, oh, I, I totally remembered who it is now. That's perfect. Okay, I would say that my favorite, if it's like that we're going that way, I think Ma- Mary Jo Hansen is uh, oh. pretty up there. Um, Alexandra Holden is doing a great job, and I, like, it. <laughs> It feels so, like, it feels bad in hindsight, but, like, also she's getting help. <laughs> um, I think she's great. I think, um, I, I mean, I think Ellen Barkin, like, Annette, I don't know if she counts as a minor character, but, like, I love her yeah. so much. At the end, when she, like, opens the beer with her <laughs> hook, and she's like, I shoved your tap shoes in my panties. Go find the guy who got him around. <laughs> I love I love her so much. I love Ellen Barkin so much. I yeah. wish she was in more stuff. Um, and then I think um, one like really minor minor character. Both the the directors of the Minneapolis pageant, the the state pageant, are great. Um, and then the girl who plays Miss Minneapolis, who's Amanda in like the Dorothy, yeah, yeah, who's in like the Dorothy costume, is also really fun. For um, those of you listening, she was the girl who famously got hit by a bus in Final Destination. Um, <laughs> so uh, for me, I have to go with Cloris Klingagen, the ballet teacher. And every time oh. I have to teach, I, I call her character proto Abby Lee Miller. Um, the way she's like fanning herself. Um, mm-hmm. I have been to small town dance studios where it's like in the person's house, like the fact that like ballet studio past laundry. Um, mm-hmm. But any time that I've had to teach a ballet class and I have to come up with a tondu exercise, if I can't figure tendu out what to do, clothes, tendu 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 clothes, tendu clothes, tendu clothes, <laughs> plie, yeah. other side. Like, um, mm. yeah, I, I really love her. Like, I love that there's a certain type of character where I, I'll say, like, this character is determined to be much more of a character than she is. And I think that mm-hmm. is especially an element that gets added when it's uh, a mockumentary because it almost seems as though she is trying to be more, like, the way, like, she's so supportive of um, of Amber, but she's like, talent like yours doesn't have to hide behind sequins. It's like, there's almost something about her, her character where she said that because there's a camera crew there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I rather like that. Also, uh, the Fry Girls in the bathroom. Love her, love them. Oh my god, they're they're just iconic. I love them so much. For some reason, actually, that's Um, another like one liner. Um, dork ass farm girl. Um, always stays in my head. Um, because like where I'm from, I think because I'm from a rural area, people assume that I'm from an area with a lot of farming. And I'm actually from an area that is famously like the Great Clay Belt, where there were a lot of failed farming experiments. And so. There was a time when I said like, no, I'm not some dork ass farm girl. And then I realized, where does dork ass? Where did that? bit in my vocabulary <laughs> come from oh dork farm girl like yeah okay so the most important question oh wait other um, other minor character that i love is um miss mount rose 1945 um oh, that's that is who i picked i work here now <laughs> <laughs> no that's the that's um oh. that's like 60 80 something 1945 is didn't even get oh. to keep the damn tiara <laughs> Ludafisk. <laughs> oh wait, I think that is why I had uh, long. I do love. Ones. 
Oh, I work here now, though. Yeah. She's she's great. <laughs> That's why I had Lana Williams as um, as like thinking that she was involved with the King of the Hilliverse because there is actually a minor character um, who in her first appearance is voiced by Laurie Metcalf. I don't know about other appearances, but the new Reverend who is from Minnesota and there's a lot of Minnesota jokes about her. And yeah. in her introductory episode, she brings Ludafisk. Um, it's best with lots of butter. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I, I love Connie, whatever her name is. I I grew up next to these stockyards. Like, again, <laughs> this, you, you think they're making fun of it, but you go to the rural Midwest and it is really like nice little subdivision next to a, a fucking like processing plant next to an abattoir, like <laughs> daycares and abattoirs. Uh, the word abattoir is such a funny word. Yes, uh, <laughs> the, the swine was slaughtered in the abattoir. Um, um, the the actress who plays uh, Miss Mount Rose, American Teen Princess, nineteen forty five, um, was also in uh, they're back, the Mighty Ducks. <laughs> no, <laughs> she's wait. the principal. Okay, <laughs> okay, yes. Bring okay. it back around. <laughs> always, it always comes back to the Mighty Ducks, man. Um, so uh, if a flaming projectile flew through your window, what would be the most likely thing to get fused to your hand? Bonus points if it's not your phone. Most likely thing to get fused to my hand if I... Because the thing is, like, I don't actually carry my phone around when I'm at home. Oh, gosh, I do. I'm embarrassed to say. Um... I don't move a lot when I'm at home, <laughs> I guess. So uh, probably, honestly, probably, probably this, probably a Diet Coke can, probably very similar <laughs> to to Annette, except yeah. Diet Coke. <laughs> um, um, I, so or possibly, possibly my vape. <laughs> I didn't know you vaped. I'm disappointed in you. I'm kidding. You can do what you want. It's your body. Um, I mean, weed, not Oh, not jewel or anything okay. yeah. <laughs> no we don't we don't do tobacco here in this house you're too millennial <laughs> to be vaping tobacco i i have a co-worker yeah. first of all kelsey i have a co-worker who was born in 1999 what i have co-workers fuck? who were born in like the 2000s and how it is scares that legal me. how is that legal <laughs> they're babies i do work with some teens but yeah. um but yeah, like, and all he does is vape. He's like, I have a callus on my on my finger from how much I vape. I'm like, I hate this. I hate Gen Z. Um, we don't actually say Gen Z here. I just joke. Um, so I I had to teach one of my Gen Z coworkers how to use a thumb drive. Kelsey, you're never <laughs> that... gonna believe what I'm holding right now. Because that was. This is the thing that would get fused to my hand. I'm a fidgeter. And I think people yeah. who have recorded podcasts with me notice this. They notice I'm always picking things up. And the biggest thing that I always pick up is this thumb drive. Because I have the same one. It's Well, and this one, it can get under my nails. Like it's, <laughs> it can scratch my itchies. Like, <laughs> yeah, thumb drive for me. Yeah. Um, that was that was my, oh, my God, I'm old moment was when I had to teach my, my coworker how to use a thumb drive. And I was like, well, what did you do in, like, college when you had to, like, go to the library? And they were just like, Google Drive? And I was like, oh, yeah, that did not exist when I was in college. Actually, <laughs> um, when I was in Wisconsin this summer and we took a lot of really, really high quality, like, drone video of our farm show. And then it all had to be sent to me. And the guy's like, this is too big for me to send electronically. I am going to mail a USB a flash drive, a flash yeah. drive to you, and I'm just like, ah, <laughs> oh, I'm back in 2007 and thriving, thriving. Um, so to conclude our thoughts on Drop Dead Gorgeous, we must ask the ultimate question. Let's say you're watching this for the first time in 2023. What aspects do you think have and haven't aged well, not just socially, but in terms of style? 
I mean, I think we've, like, discussed the social aspects that don't age well. Yeah. Um, I think, like, for me, I feel like the style of this movie has only, like, become more understood. Like, I think it has gotten better with age. Like, I think it was, like, <laughs> it sounds weird. It, it almost was before its time. Yep. I agree. You know? Um, and I think, I think also, like, I would say that for me, like, the mockumentary kind of had a moment around this time. Like, mm-hmm. Best in Show came out, like, sometime in the early 2000s, which yes. is, like, what I think of when I think of mockumentaries that everyone has seen. Um, even though I know it's not true that everyone has seen that, but. <laughs> I think um, more people have seen it than A Mighty Wind, but fewer people have seen yeah. it than Spinal Tap. Yeah. 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 Um, but I think. I think this movie has gotten, I don't want to say better with age because I've always liked it, but I think it, it is more understood and more, um, like, more critically appreciated with age in a, in a big way. Mm-hmm. Um, I was reading a 2019 review by Gia Tolentino in The New Yorker, um, and she was talking about how it was, you know, basically critically maligned at the time for a lot of reasons, and... Uh, one of the quotes that I highlighted was, um, but what Dropped a Gorgeous understands so well is that being a teenage girl is in fact deranged and dehumanizing and frequently unsubtle. Mm-hmm. And it, I think what you said towards the beginning of our recording where it's like, this is a piece of satire of black comedy aimed at teenage girls. Like it's mm-hmm. for them, even though I, and I think possibly that the movie, the production company didn't know who its audience was. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's the thing and it found its audience on its own Mm -hmm. and I think it is more easily appreciated by people our age now because we remember what it was like to be that age at that time and feel that dehumanized and degraded and you know like one of the the things that I was reading in the bad reviews was like how about how unsubtle the comedy was and I was like I think that's part of it though and I think that's what part of what works about it um and in, even with all the unsubtle stuff what I find kind of unique about this movie is how every character really actually underreacts to everything going on which I think is a really like true to life thing and also speaks to just how kind of spaced out everyone seems in this very like resigned weird life um, one of the things, like I, you know, you mentioned that the mar- like the the production company did not know how to market this movie. I think you're totally correct because I think it got the idea that we were making fun of teenage girls. And again, Lona Williams, former teenage girl. Um, I, I think what, if anything, what it is like, and again, I come back to that iconic shot of the girl with the spiky uh, hairstylist hair um, screaming. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like the primal scream of the teenager, of the teenage girl, um, that I think, frankly, is better, I'm just going to say this, Gen Z, better than anything Olivia Rodrigo could say about being a teenage girl. Um, Oh, I got into an argument about Olivia Rodrigo because I just don't get it. (laughs) I don't either. It feels... Okay. Because I have four grace minutes on my heart out i'll say this (laughs) olivia rodrigo's music feels like the kind of music she's not the only person who has music like this right now but it's the kind of music that was written to go viral on tiktok i agree (laughs) this Um, movie i think would have torn it the fuck up on tiktok oh god yeah it's like this movie like the more people that see this movie now i think the more people that can appreciate it Mm -hmm. like the amount of one-liners the amount of like you know just like deadpan reactions to things like it it would 
kill now yeah. basically but i think yeah it didn't really understand who it was for and it thought it, it i think it felt like i think reviewers felt like it was making fun of teenage girls when it was really making fun of the world that teenage girls are forced to participate in mm. um and i feel like sugar and spice is kind of the same way um yeah, like I think Sugar and Spice it also suffered from marketing issues because of the cheerleading angle and it was post Bring yeah. It On, um, which is why you couldn't save it with Dunst because she'd already done her cheerleading movie. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, if anything, I would say the one thing that also really has aged incredibly well about this movie, um, because yeah, we all agree with the things that aged poorly. Um, <laughs> I like that every single girl in this movie is respected by by the red even like becky is quite respected by the red like mm-hmm. you can see a lot of becky's pain in it which i think mm-hmm. like when you see how much she fucking hates her family she oh god yeah hates her family um and like even like as much as she's kind of made fun of i find the movie even has a great deal of respect for mary johansson um yeah you know, i think like, it treats her with a lot of love you know yeah, and I think that's, like, kind of what I was saying earlier. Like, I, all these girls, they feel really real and lived-in characters. They don't feel like they are written for a joke. Mm-hmm. Like, their parts of their characters are funny and are included in jokes. But, like, they all feel very tied to the world that we are satirizing here. And Absolutely. and it really, it really works. Mm-hmm. And I suggest, if you haven't seen this movie and you're listening to this, go watch it. Like, I mean, go watch it before you listen to this, maybe. But um, but I don't think it will be ruined by kind of knowing what happens. Not at all. Um, all right, Kelsey, so thank you for being with us on this special Holodunst episode. Um, if you want to once again plug where we can stalk and agree with you online, do it now. Yeah, um, you can find me pretty much everywhere at Kelsey Rebecca. You can find me on Blue Sky at Kelsey Bex, although I don't post there that much. I'm still waiting for to catch on i guess um and you can listen to back episodes of my currently on a very long hiatus podcast ruined my life um anywhere you can find podcasts and as for me i've been your host brie Rody, and you can find me on blue sky at prune tracy i'm no longer on the bad side i actually got rid of my twitter account everyone should be really wow. happy for me and my mental health um, i'm so happy for you this podcast is on twitter at rec room tales not sure how much we're going to be updating that uh like much like friend of the show patrick i just don't want to lose the uh the username but you can find us at rec room tales on blue sky as well tomorrow our friend liz is finally taking us into the 21st century with a retrospective look at bring it on take it easy Thank you.